It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This week I can say the final August edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast. If you were with us last week, eh, I screwed that up. But this week it really is the final August edition of the Minor League Baseball Podcast in 2017. Hi everybody and welcome into the latest episode of the show before the show podcast. Episode number 125. I'm Tyler Mon. Sam Dexter's in New York City. Hi Sam. Hi, Tyler. Um, talking very fast. I feel like I've had a lot did. of coffee, but I haven't. What? I said I'm talking very fast. I feel like I've had a lot of coffee, but I haven't. I mean, that's fine. That's <laughs> like, it's good to be caffeinated this, at this point in the afternoon. <laughs> um, we should tell everybody what you got to do over this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, I got to spend time with our good friend uh, and friend of the pod, Josh Jackson, in our Albuquerque. Pacific Coast Bureau Chief. Yeah. Josh Jackson. Yeah, no, Josh and I went down to uh, to Albuquerque, caught a few uh, Albuquerque Isotopes games against the Salt Lake Bees at Isotopes Park, which is, if you told me that Isotopes Park was built two years ago, I would believe you. That facility has been open 15 years now, and it is awesome. If you ever have a chance to make it uh, to Albuquerque and catch some Topes games, that place is fantastic. And uh, yeah, we just kind of, it wasn't really spur of the moment, but it was probably like over the last three weeks or so, Josh and I nailed down a trip to go catch some baseball. We did some fly fishing, and it was it was a ton of fun. Ate way too much New Mexican food. That was really the point of it to me. All, all the green chili cheeseburgers. Yeah, absolutely. Like. Yeah, it was fantastic. I was a big fan. That and then uh, I, I got to see Josh do his best Breaking Bad imitation. Yeah. Um, on Instagram. Yeah, there is so much good Breaking Bad stuff. I went down there two years ago and like drove around and saw all the sites. Like, you know, saw jesse's house and walt's house and hank and marie's house whatever um this time i didn't really do anything but uh josh caught some of that stuff wanted a museum wanted a candy shop where they make a candy that looks like the product in breaking bad it's pretty good albuquerque's a it's a cool little town i like it he he did have me worried though that that was not candy yeah it's uh it's very lifelike looking yeah, he said he was handing off shifts between you had the day shift, he had the night shift on right. Sunday. And he was just like, I brought this stuff back for the two of us. And I was like, <laughs> wait a minute. Mm. Wait a minute. What's going on there? Josh, uh, no. you can't prove to me that that's candy in an Instagram post. And it was just like, it really is just like crystallized sugar. Like, it's not even like a good candy. It's like sort of cotton candy flavored, just a block of sugar. Oh, yeah. No, it, it looks like it should be wrapped around a stick of some yeah, sort. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was something. But, uh, you know, put me on a, a solid five-year-old sugar high for the rest of the day on Sunday. So it was, it was terrific, which is sort of what I feel like I'm on uh, right now. Episode uh, number that, did one. Did you bring some back with you? <laughs> Actually, I did bring a little bit back in a bag. Thankfully, I was driving and not flying because I feel like it would have sparked a lot of questions. Uh, um, but uh, we get rolling in episode number 125. Got a good one coming up for you today. Houston area native and Pittsburgh pirates first rounder shane boz will join the show um shane has been doing his work in the rookie level gulf coast league this week but obviously uh his thoughts and the thoughts of so many of us in the baseball community uh a world away from florida and wherever so many of uh, the rest of us are located and with the people of houston and the surrounding areas uh with what hurricane harvey has wrought in that area uh, i actually talked with kyle tucker last night of the astros organization a member of the corpus christi hooks corpus christi thankfully spared uh, a large brunt from the storm this past week when uh, they did get some damaging winds and some rain, but not nearly the the flooding or those types of things that we've seen in Houston. Um, the baseball community has started to step forth with what it will do to aid in recovery efforts. Uh, Jim Crane and the Houston Astros Foundation have already pledged $4 million uh, for recovery efforts and, uh, and the assorted uh, rescue operations in Houston as of right now. And there is just so much of the baseball world, guys who – 
grew up in Texas or played their high school ball in Texas or played college ball in Texas. So much of the baseball community is rooted in that state and in the Houston area. Um, and so our thoughts are obviously with the people of Houston and the surrounding areas right now as we go through a, a brutal week um, and hope that uh, from here on out, uh, things start to lighten in terms of skies and flooding and everything else that uh, is wreaking havoc in that region right now. So Shane Boswell will join the show here coming up in a little bit. Uh, we'll talk to him about his hometown and also about a debut season for that young man in the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Before we get started on three strikes this week, again, thanks for tuning in to the final August edition of the show before the show. You can find us at MILB.com slash podcast. We are on the Stitcher app as well as Google Play and iTunes Podcasts and everywhere else you find your podcasts. And that's it. Let's get started. Coming up on Friday, rosters expand to 40 men at the major league level when we hit September 1st. Call-ups have factored in in big ways in recent seasons uh, down the stretch in Major League Baseball playoff pushes. Sam, what are you envisioning in terms of guys who could factor into races as we head into September with expanded rosters at the big league level? Yeah, some of this is kind of, you know, guys, like you said, who, who are going to factor into races. Um, you know, September is still a lot to be decided as much as, you know, we're all gearing up for the minor league playoffs. You, you do have to catch yourself every once in a while. Realize there's still a month of major league baseball to go in which a lot is going to be decided. Um, but some of the things I'm, I'm also keeping my eye on is just how prospects are treated in their, you know, in in this final month of the season. Um, sometimes guys are, are you know, they're going to they're eligible for the rule five draft this year. They're going to be added to a 40 man. We know this because they're probably top 100 prospects. Um, they're too talented to not be protected. Uh, so sometimes teams add them to the 40 man roster early, make that, make that move early, uh, give them a little bit of a taste of the majors and, um, see what they kind of have in them entering, you know, the off season in the spring and how they can kind of figure that stuff out, uh, going into next season. You know, are they ready for the majors yet? Do they need a little bit more seasoning at AAA next year? Uh, and in that kind of mold, I'm going to be really interested to see what the Phillies do with J.P. Crawford and Scott Kingery. Uh, Crawford, as, as some of you know, has just had an incredible July. Uh, was has been really good as well this August. Um, once he got healthy, he did have a, a little DL stint in the middle of the season. He's gotten healthy. He's put up bigger power numbers than I was expecting for him. Uh, Kingery is up there for breakout prospect of the year for me. Uh, you know, he's not only showing the speed that we all knew he had, um, but he's also showing a lot more power with 20 plus home runs. And both of those guys have moved around the infield a little bit. Uh, Kingery is usually a second baseman. Uh, Crawford's usually a shortstop. Kingery has moved, uh, between second and third. Crawford has moved between short and third. I think he's gotten a few games at second base as well. Uh, and, you know, the, the Phillies have done this already this season with Reese Hoskins. Uh, Hoskins got to play left field for a couple games before the Phillies called him up. He's usually a first baseman. Um, so the fact that they gave him that time was kind of a clear signal of, hey, you know, we're ready to bring this guy up with, because of his bat. We just need to make sure he can handle, uh, you know, handle things defensively and left, which is where we most need him. Um, the fact that they're doing that again with Crawford and Kingery kind of tells me that they're thinking about doing the same thing. Um, both of those guys a little bit have, you know, uh, more interesting stories or more complicated stories, excuse me, uh, than Hoskins did. Hoskins was kind of destroying AAA all year. Uh, Kingery started out at AA Reading. Uh, Crawford, like I said, had a really difficult time at the beginning of the year uh, and has really turned him on himself on late. So if he was to earn a, a look, it would be because of kind of smaller sample success than Hoskins had. Um, but, you know, the Phillies, this has not been a banner year for them by any means. They're kind of really in competition for the number one overall pick. That's kind of what they're going for at this point. Um, so, you know, do they decide to give these guys looks now? Do they decide to just hold them off and, you know, maybe even hold them off till, till May of next year uh, or June of next year? You know, to deal with some service time stuff. Uh, I don't have inside any inside information into that. Um, the fact that they're moving them around so much kind of tells me that they will be called up. Whether they are or not, it will be very telling about, A, what the Phillies' kind of philosophy with prospects is right now, and B, what their individual plans with those two guys are. Uh, you know, I mentioned them as a package. They are not a package necessarily by any means. Uh, it's possible only Crawford comes up. It's possible only Kingery comes up. 
going to be real interested to see how that kind of plays out. Uh, another one I have my eye on is Francisco Mejia. Um, speaking of, you know, how guys are going to play into uh, races, you know, the, the Indians are pretty comfortable right now at the top of the American League Central. They look like they're going to win that division for a second year running. Uh, they're obviously going to try to compete to get back to the World Series, get over that hump um, that they found themselves in. You know, they couldn't get over that hump last year against the Cubs. They're they're going to want all talent on deck. Uh, Mejia is on the 40-man. They don't have to make a corresponding move to bring him up in September. Uh, he's hitting 300 this year. I think he's got 14 homers, so showing a little bit more pop this year at Double A Akron. Uh, we know the bat is is special for any position, but especially catching. Uh, he still has some work to do, I think, defensively in terms of framing, in terms of getting comfortable back there, working with staffs. Um, but in, since he is on the 40-man, since he might be the most talented catcher on that 40-man roster, uh, you know, he has every right, I think, to kind of skip over AAA Columbus and get called up to Cleveland. You know, if they want the most talent they have with them, he's there. He's probably ready for that chance. Um I think things got a little complicated today, and we'll get into this in a little bit. Uh, Mejia was added to uh, the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he will be headed to the Fall League, as at least as of now. And things got a little interesting because on the official page, he's listed as a catcher. As a roster that was released to some people, he was listed as an infielder. Uh, MLB.com's Jordan Bastian reported that that wasn't, exactly a typo the the indians plan on working him out at third base as well um to kind of help with his versatility i'm be real interested to see how that works bashing also added that just because he's in the fall league doesn't mean they're not going to call him up uh, i remember last year the red sox did that with the Owen mancata uh he was called up to the majors but he was also added in the fall league i think in the same week which was kind of fascinating so they're not necessarily mutually exclusive um but whether one plays into the other for sure, we'll have to see as we roll into September. I think September 1st is this Friday. Um, and, it, and it's not just going to be a floodgate situation. We always have to remember that, uh, you know, just because September 1st opens, not all of these prospects aren't going to immediately get called up. It, it can be a trickle process. Some of these guys are going into the minor league playoffs. Uh, their organizations want them to succeed, get a ring, you know, play in meaningful games, that kind of stuff, instead of sit on the bench and get a couple at-bats here and there or a couple innings out of the bullpen, whatever. Um, so we can keep our eyes on these things kind of for the next couple of weeks. But that situation in Philly and Mejia's in uh, Cleveland, I think, is going to be very, very interesting. You know, one of the guys it feels like we've talked about all season, and um, I guess maybe because we have, uh, but Walker Bueller is a guy that we have discussed time and time again as maybe being somebody who could factor into that race for the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are a team that ran away with the National League West as of basically the middle of June. Um, Bueller has really, really righted the ship in AAA. He started off on a brutal note uh, for the AAA Oklahoma City Dodgers, but really he's kind of gotten himself figured out over the last few weeks. Um, that is a situation where where he started the entirety of the season, moved up to AAA, made starts in his first, I believe, five outings at the AAA level, and now has come out of the bullpen uh, in his most recent six. And so are the Dodgers ready now um, to give him a look at the major league level if he shows over these next few times out that this is consistent, sustained success? Uh, was coming off of Tommy John surgery. So limited in his work last year. This year, he's flown through three levels, made five starts at Rancho Cucamonga in high A, then was bumped up to Tulsa, made 11 starts there. It's now nine outings at AAA. So his first uh, three were uh, in a starting capacity and then six since in relief. You know, the the Dodgers continue to graduate guys. They continue to have guys make major impacts. Um, we did not see that really last year with Julio Arias, I think the way that we figured we were going to, um, and obviously an injury that shut down his season, but is Bueller somebody that could, we could see factoring into a, a pitching staff that is going to be getting a healthy Clayton Kershaw back uh, and, you know, needs something to get over that hump. The Dodgers have not made it past the National League Championship Series with this recent run of division titles and success that they've had. Maybe that's a guy that you look to. He is not a 40-man member as of right now, so there would need to be a move made there, uh, which would seem unlikely over the next few days but possibility uh for somebody like walker bueller i just think it's we've followed him for so long this year because it seemed like he was such a an obvious option of somebody who could go up and make an impact there um and with the way that team has just rolled 
through the entire summer, it feels like. Uh, they've got a lot of house money to play with over the next five weeks or so with basically an insurmountable lead in that division. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, the way the season's kind of gone for him feels like the dream scenario for the Dodgers. Right. No, no, this is a dream season for the Dodgers, period. I mean, like, they're, they're being talked about as one of the most productive teams in Major League Baseball history. Um, but to, to kind of cap it off with – Walker Bueller, A, not, no, not only just being healthy, uh, but being effective at everywhere he's pitched um, and being able to be moved up like this. And then, you know, to probably still have some bullets left in the chamber, um, you know, because he's moved to a relief role. I'm going to be real interested to, if they do call him up, if they do end up giving him a start. Uh, I know, you know, there were some questions about who was going to start last weekend. Um, you know, Clayton Kershaw made his technical triple-A debut, um, so he's still not technically back. They, people were asking, is Bueller an option? And the fact that it once that kind of line of questioning gets to the major league manager, I'm not saying there's a direct correlation of, like, he starts thinking, oh, yeah, maybe. Right. Uh, but the fact that it, it's reached that threshold is kind of telling. Um, so, you know, as much as Bueller is pitching out of the bullpen now, I think that's kind of to get him used to that role and also limit his innings. Um, it, w- it would be awesome to see him get an actual start uh, for the Dodgers in a, in a major league setting before the year is out. But, yeah, uh, I would say it, it's a pretty good shot that he's going to be pitching a major league inning at least uh, come this September. Another one of the guys in that Dodgers system uh, to keep an eye on, I don't think he's going to be an option, but somebody who's had such a good year that it, it just almost feels like he's too good to be sitting where he's sitting is Wilmer Font. And Wilmer Font was a pretty highly regarded prospect in the Texas Rangers organization for a while, made his big league debut in 2012. He, after, that was after missing all the entire uh, 2011 season following Tommy John surgery. This year, he's made 25 starts uh, for AAA Oklahoma City in that Dodgers system. He has 178 strikeouts against 35 walks and 134 and a third innings pitched. Uh, The ERA is at 3.42 in a hitter-friendly league. Oklahoma City, obviously, is not the launching pad of some of the places in the PCL, but keep an eye on Wilmer Fun. I don't know if that's a a route the Dodgers would want to go again. Not a 40-man roster guy, but he's been such a dynamic arm this year uh, in the PCL that it seems like a travesty that he has uh, not gotten a look uh, at the major league level at some point this season. But it goes to show you how good the Dodgers have been, and they're swimming in that wealth of starting pitching depth right now, even despite the injuries that they've had to sustain. Uh, strike two this week, Sam. More end-of-season all-star rosters rolling out this week uh, and last week. The Pacific Coast League at the AAA level, AA Texas League, Eastern League, and Southern League, the Class A Advanced Florida State League and the rookie-level Appalachian League. What stands out to you among these all-star groups as the best prospect group among them? Um, yeah, I mean, this might be kind of unfair uh, just because I think, you know, we, we usually lean towards, when we're thinking about best prospects, we, we like to see guys do well at upper uh, at upper levels. Um, so, you know, guys who are proven performers at AA or AAA tend to be better prospects in our eyes. There are fewer question marks in terms of how they can perform. Um, so when I look at this PCL, you know, all end of season, all-star roster, I th- think about how like littered with prospects it is and how exciting it really could be. Uh, you know, you look at Ahmed Rosario, you know, uh, as we've said over and over, you know, a top five prospect in the game right now. Um, you can make any sort of debate whether he should be number one uh, next to Moncada or Glaber Torres. Uh, you know, Willie Calhoun, friend of the podcast, is on there as the second baseman. Uh, Christian Walker, who's had a heck of a season, you could certainly talk about him as the best offensive performer in all of the minors this year. Uh, you know, 30 plus home runs, 34 home runs to be exact, 112 RBIs, a 992 OPS. Um, look, Wilmer Font, as as uh, Al, or as Tyler mentioned. Uh, He's also on this list. Renato Nunez is the DH. Derek Fisher, who's one of the best power slash speed guys in the game right now. I mean, you look up and down. It's not just like, oh, this guy, this was a good year for him, but I don't see much of much for him going forward. Um, you know, these these are guys who are you are definitely going to see in the major leagues. Some of which, if you haven't already, um, you know, Rosario is already there. Christian Walker already has major league time. Wilmer Font, like you said, uh, Renato Nunez, who is the DH, is going to be talked about. You know, all the A's are kind of talking about how excited they are to bring him up uh, this year after the season he's had with Nashville. 
Um, so if you look at this PCL lineup, uh, the IL isn't out yet. I think that's going to that's definitely going to be out probably in the next week or so. Um, but you know, you look at this and you think like, okay, this is going to be a list we could probably talk about in a couple of years and just say like, it's pretty cool that Willie Calhoun, Ahmed Rosario, Derek Fisher, again, go down the list. We're all on on one team at one time. Um, the one that might rival it in my eyes is the Southern League, um, not because of its top to you know top to bottom depth, uh, but just because it has three big names that again I think we could be talking about in a couple of years. Uh, Nick Gordon, shortstop. Uh, for the Chattanooga Lookouts, he was honored at the shortstop position there. Uh, one of the Twins' top prospects, you you put him up there with Stephen Gonzalez, uh, who is the top prospect in that system. Um, Gordon, you know, just taking another step in his development. I think he's probably going to be with the Twins at some point next year, probably a midseason call-up for them. Uh, Twins a little bit better than expected this year. Uh, adding him to the infield will only make them better. Uh, right-handed pitcher Michael Kopech. Uh, he's since been called out to triple a Charlotte. We know he can hit triple digits. Uh, he gets rewarded for what was a very strikeout heavy season. And, uh, Colby Allard is the left-handed pitcher, um, which again, just continues to fascinate me. You know, he was 19 years old at the beginning of the year, just turned 20 on August 13th. Uh, the fact that he pitched the entire season at double a, uh, posted a 3.34 ERA, 124 strikeouts and 143 innings. Um, you know, a guy who used to have question marks in terms of his health had some back issues the fact that he was able to throw 143 innings period is kind of exciting the fact that he was able to have you know this level of success and what was essentially his age 19 season is really interesting and and to see him rewarded this way just adds another piece to that resume so <clears throat> if we're looking at the end of season all-star list that came in the last two weeks i think pcl and southern league are the most exciting for me yeah, and it's kind of cool because with these all-star lists, sometimes it's, you know, that's going to be the best season of a guy's career. The all-star lists are not like our top prospects list that are based on a future major league career potential. So it's cool to see some guys honored who maybe we're not going to talk about, we're not going to hear about down the road. But uh, then there do come, you know, some years in some leagues like this PCL group or the Southern League group where you think there are a whole bunch of bona fide future big leaguers in those groups. And uh, either way, whether you are one or the other, congratulations, everybody named these end-of-season all all-star teams, which will uh, finish up uh, over the next week or so coming out for the rest of the minor league circuits. Strike three this week, Sam, the Arizona Fall League, as you alluded to, uh, naming some rosters. 11 of Major League Baseball's top 100 prospects, according to MLB Pipeline, are headed to the AFL, the showcase offseason circuit that will begin play in October. Uh, who stands out among those to you? We got three guys in the top 22, Victor Robles, who's number five, Ronald Acuna, your prospect crush, who was number eight, and Mitch Keller, who was number 22. But these are a lot of really good rosters, as they are every year in the AFL. Yeah, if there was one team I would watch, and now that you've added me, outed me as a Ronald Acuna lover. I have. Uh, I would say it's the Peoria, Peoria Javelinas, and I always want to say the Javelinas. But it's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's definitely Javelinas. It looks like the, you know, it looks like it should be the Olympic event. The javelin, the javelin and the javelin is, but it is not in case right. you have wondered that about the AFLs, the javelin and, and the fact that we usually write them as the J A V S. Oh, that's right. Just, yeah, that's true. Yeah. The jabs, the, the haves, whatever, which makes me think we should have the, all the other teams should be the haves nots, but that's okay. And, and um, we also have the Sawaros, the surprise Sawaros, which is S A G. And we write them as S A G S. Yeah. Sags. Yeah, I guess we don't really say the saws for that. Anyway, maybe, going maybe off we into should a whole have a staff linguistic thing before October comes <laughs> and just decide. Like, look, enough of some of this. Anyway, yeah. that that Peoria team I think is going to be really fascinating. Not only because Acuna is there, and this is just another place for him to play. You know, after he started out the year again, you know, teenager in Class A advanced, then gets moved up to Double A, then gets moved up to Triple A. He's hit 325 this year between all his stops, 20 homers, 42 steals. Um, so you know. This is really, when we talk about the Arizona Fall League like as the prospect finishing school, this is really what this could be for Acuna. And I still wouldn't rule him out from go going to Atlanta in September either, um, just with the way they pushed him. But anyway, the fact that he's there is interesting. Um, but he's not the only interesting outfielder there. Uh, Kyle Lewis, Mariners' top prospect, number 47 overall, uh, 11th overall pick last year. He's only played 31 games as of Tuesday when we're recording this, a Class A advanced Modesto. Uh, you know, he had a severe right knee, knee injury, torn ACL last year that held him out uh, for the beginning of this year. 
and then some reoccurrence with some right knee injuries. Um, so he's been held out. This, for him, this is an opportunity to get more at-bats. But not only that, you know, he is talented enough that he can face this, you know, the pitching that he's going to see in the AFL and really succeed. So it's going to be kind of a, not only making up for missed time, but kind of a measuring stick for him there as well. Uh, and that's just in the outfield. But I'm really interested in this Peoria infield uh, because they've got number 55 overall prospect, Luis Urias, uh, another really young guy, only 20, who's hitting 299 at AA San Antonio this year. Uh, he's the only top 100 prospect, but outside of him, Michael Chavis is there, who has 29 home runs. He's the number three overall, or number three Red Sox prospect, excuse me. Uh, there's two top draft picks from 2015, and Josh Naylor and Austin Riley. Uh, there's Lourdes Gurriel, who's a $22 million signee from the Blue Jays. Uh, this Peoria team is just kind of loaded with talent. In a year that, you know, writing down how all these rosters have shaken out so far, uh, no team has more than three top 100 overall prospects. Uh, Surprise doesn't have any top 100 overall prospects. Um, so I think, yeah, there there might be a, some good depth here in terms of how each team is kind of shaken out, and that's the goal uh, for every AFL season. Um, but the way that the bats have kind of clustered in Peoria uh, will make that team kind of a must-follow for me every day uh, coming up. Yeah, I think the season starts October 10th. Um, so yeah, in just a month and a half when this starts, I think I'm going to be paying most attention to that Peoria team. One interesting name on that Peoria roster, Henry Owens, who is a former very highly regarded and highly ranked, uh, pitching prospect in the Boston Red Sox organization. Henry Owens will be one of the oldest guys in the league. He's 25, um, but has really fallen off the map prospect status wise. We don't often see the AFL used as kind of a reclamation league. Um, and not to say that that's where Henry Owens is in his career, but we've certainly seen his stock drop a lot. Um, when you're 25 and being sent to the AFL, there's usually something very specific that an organization is trying to get you to accomplish, trying to get you to work on. Those stories are sometimes the most fascinating ones uh, in the Arizona Fall League. So if you're a Red Sox fan, something to keep an eye on there. Maybe it's the start of the turnaround uh, for Henry Owens. So that'll do it for this week's edition of Three Strikes on the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to head to the Gulf Coast League and the Pittsburgh Pirates first round pick in the 2017 Major League Baseball first year player draft. Shane Boz will join the show from the rookie level GCL next. Joining us this week on the uh, Minor League Baseball podcast is Pirates first round pick and number three prospect Shane Boz uh, calling in from Florida in the Gulf Coast League. Shane, how are you doing? I'm doing good, you know. Season's almost over, but uh, hanging in there, it's been a it's been a good year. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get into what it, your first pro summer has been like. Um, but you know, first things first, want to get into you know where you're from, um, you know where, where things are right now. You're from the Houston area, uh, went to school at Tomball or Tomball, Texas. Um, just first off, how is everything at home? How is everybody you know uh, back in Texas? Uh, yeah, I'm from Northwest Houston. I'm from the Cypress area and it's, uh, it's been a lot of flooding. There's over like 10,000 houses, uh, have been flooded and 500,000 people have had to evacuate. But, uh, luckily my house isn't in a floodplain, so we're, we're good for right now. I know we haven't had much access to leave, but they're safe and, uh, they're dry. How how often are you checking back with with family back home on how things are going? Oh, I mean every every hour or so, I'm calling my dad or my mom and ask for updates and stuff, and just making sure that my uh, them and my grandparents are okay. My grandparents just live right down the street, also. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know, um, you know, your Twitter account is the Wizard of Boz, which is a great Twitter account name, by the way. <laughs> uh, Wizard of Boz, that's Boz B A Z. Um, but on that yeah. on that Twitter page, you shared you know you're trying to raise money for the Red Cross, um, trying to help you know with Hurricane Harvey relief. Um, you know w- what kind of efforts are you seeing back home with everybody going through it, and what is it like being in Florida, being this far away while this is all going on? Uh, it's weird. It's weird. I've I've never spent this much time uh, away from home, obviously. But uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of thank yous and just a lot of. Uh, just good job like almost like respect for what i'm doing and 
and uh, just trying to make a difference that I, every way I can, you know, just using the platform that I have, just trying to make a difference. Yeah, and, and when you feel like, you know, you were first first round pick uh, in June, uh, 12th overall to the Pirates, um, but just a couple months ago, you were a high school senior. I mean, when you go through something like this, you know, you become a, a celebrity in, in some way. Um, but when you go on, you sign a big signing bonus, what kind of obligation do you feel like you have in that moment when that kind of happens and then something of this magnitude happens back home? Oh, it's a it's a whole new responsibility. You know, uh, you, you become uh, – uh, you work for somebody now. You know, you're not just playing for fun. You know, it's still fun, but someone kind of owns you now. You know, you got to – you got to answer to somebody and you're following directions and uh yeah you you're held to a whole new standard of of class and uh so yeah so let's kind of get into to what's gotten you to this point in your career like i said you went 12th overall to the to the pirates this past june um you know what was the draft process like for you um, you know, reading some stuff at the beginning of the year, people certainly knew your name, but it seemed like you kind of took a jump this spring, particularly when it came to velocity. Um, you know, what was the whole draft process like for you going into June? You know, school was the focus initially. Uh, my parents wanted me to go to school, and I was really born with uh, with school. But as this as the spring kind of went on, and uh, I made some big jumps because of the work I put in the off season when I worked out for three months, you know, five days a week, not necessarily all lifting weights, but just being in the weight room and training and stuff like that made a huge difference. And the amount of time the draft came around it was it was pretty hectic because just the uncertainty of where I was going to go. And, uh, luckily everything worked out great. Yeah. And you talk about all that work you pick put in and I, um, you know, reading some of your velocities, like I said, you hit like 98 at certain points this spring. Um, when did you kind of feel it kind of kick in? And was that kind of an emphasis point for you to, to increase your velocity or how did that kind of work itself out? You know, not necessarily just to increase my velocity, but to be less injury prone, to just have an easier delivery, work on mechanics and just get stronger. But after my first couple starts, and I was like 92, 94, but I wasn't really airing it out. I knew that I had more in the tank, and I was, I was excited to see what I looked like, you know, midseason form. And, and when did it feel like uh, things had, had clicked? I, I know you just said you you were a little earlier. You know, you could feel a little bit earlier, but when did it feel like going to TCU wasn't necessarily going to be uh, the top option? Uh, probably about a month before the draft, maybe a little more just gathering more information from from teams and talking to my agent and just uh, kind of seeing articles and, and just hearing more information, I knew that it was something I, I, would, I would have to look into for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you mentioned talking to teams, um, you know, is there a certain, like, interest level you can feel from scouts just by, you know, the vocabulary – vocabulary they're using or the amount they're showing up. I know Nolan Ryan was even at a couple of your starts or at least one uh, right. you know, being a Texas guy. Is that when it feels special or, you know, what type of discussions do you have with teams when you feel like, okay, this is going to be an early first round thing? You know, I, uh, I could tell that some of the teams were really interested and, and uh, you, you would know by who, who comes to your games and, and best pitcher in history of baseball and he, he still wants me pitch and I was just like in shock almost but yeah I mean the, the teams hide their cards pretty well they're not going to tell you when they pick you until you know it's your name's up next in the draft but but I mean you kind of get an idea the way they're talking to your agent or, or uh, some other way mm-hmm and um, did, so did you have any idea that it would be the Pirates? I saw one story on Baseball America that said you kind of had an inkling, and it feels like that's somewhat easy to say after the fact when, you, you know, they're the ones who talk to you and they've been around. But, um, you know, did you get any feeling that it, the Pirates were giving maybe the most serious interest in you? 
you know, I don't know if they had the most serious interest, but I knew that they were really interested in, uh, and that teams that were picking before that might not have been as interesting. So, I mean, if I would have had the guess before the draft, I, I don't think I could have named a team or maybe even named a couple of teams. But, but uh, I knew the Pirates were interested the whole time. Mm-hmm. And what kind of knowledge did you have of them ahead of time? Obviously, this is a system that's, that's done really well at developing um, top-end pitching talent, whether it's Garrett Cole or Jamison Tyone or – um, you know, guys like Tyler Glass now have become top prospects in that system in the past. Um, what did you know about them before, and what have you gotten to learn about the system since you joined it? Uh, what I've heard is, you know, I haven't heard a bad thing about them, and uh, I've known that to be true, that they're all about business and developing you as a person also, and it's uh, tried and true. You know, it's the proof's in the pudding, you know, with the guys that they've put in the big leagues and and how well that they've developed uh, their early picks. And uh, obviously they sent you to the GCL, um, which, you know, talking to guys before, that's like an environment you, you're never really prepared for until you're there. Uh, you go from high school ball to, to playing every day and out on a field every day. What has the GCL been like for you so far? What has been the biggest change for you playing in that environment? Uh, I'd say probably just a grind is the only way to say it. You know, you're, you have a game every day. Uh, the biggest change for me has been throwing every day, you know, going from throwing a few days a week in high school to throwing every five days and having a bullpen in between starts is, uh, is just a really big difference on, you know, my body and my arm. And I've held up fine, but some guys have it. You know, they've had to deal with some stuff, but I've been lucky enough to stay uh, stay injury-free and be able to, you know, soak in everything I can here. Mm-hmm. And when you are working on those, you know, throwing sessions in between and bullpens, like you said, um, for a guy who's never had to do that before, what exactly are you focusing on in, in those works? You know, I've worked on, you know, just making sure that you're getting loose every day and that – uh it's not just playing to play catch. It's to it's to throw change ups and playing catch and hitting your spot and having a plan every day. And um, just go, going through your kind of scouting report um, right now, MLB Pipeline has you down for five pitches between a fastball, a cutter, slider, curveball, and change. Um, you know, during your time in the GCL, how many of those five are you using? Because I know a lot of times guys get into a system and they only want them working on fastball command or, you know, they take away some of the breaking stuff. How many of the five pitches that you've had in the past are you still using? You know, I've kind of merged the cutter and slider into one pitch, more of a power slider, but uh, not throwing a lot of breaking balls, trying to really develop my changeup and uh, into a good offering and, and trying to dominate my games with fastballs and changeups. But, I mean, I've mixed in breaking balls here and there. I'm still throwing them in bullpens, but the main focus has been the changeup. And, and when you say that cut, command. Yeah, and when you say that cutter and slider have kind of merged, was that your idea? Was that something the Pirates have worked with you on? How did that kind of come about? Yeah, that was that was something I turned I turned into the same pitch uh, during the high school year just to, just to have it as one offering instead of uh, two different ones. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about working on that changeup, what exactly is the focus for that? Yeah, I'm just getting comfortable with it. It's such a feel pitch that you got to throw it a lot and uh, have the same feel for your fastball. And um, even going back before the draft, um, some people might, you know, everybody knows you now as a pitcher. Uh, you were a two way player in high school. Even going through the showcase circuit, uh, you were a two way guy. Um, specifically, I want to ask you about the area code games, home run derby, in which you hit 18 home runs in the first round. I mean, that, that's not easy to do anywhere, and specifically in a showcase like that. Um, what was that like? What, did you feel any pressure knowing that it was a showcase thing? You know, I, I didn't. Uh, I was out there just trying to have as much fun as I could. You know, I probably uh, didn't have a good strategy going in because. I just used all my bullets in the first round, but <laughs> I think I set some type of record there, but, you know, I was just out there having fun. All those guys were, and that was probably some of the most fun I've ever had. 
you know, just enduring the circuit or playing ball in general. <laughs> yeah, we should probably note that you lost the next round to Jordan Adele, who was a fellow first-round pick. Yep. Uh, you lost 13-12, to 12, which is still pretty good. Yet, what, 30 home runs over two rounds. I don't think anybody's going to. Oh, yeah. If I was going to lose to anybody, you know, Joe's the guy. He's a unreal hitter, and uh, and uh, he ended up winning that. But, right. yeah, I love Joe, and, and all those guys were a blast. So how much of you still misses – batting and when did you know that you know being a two-way player um you know that that was a theme of this draft was potential two-way players when did you know you were going to only be in in the mound in the pro ranks you know i think towards uh whenever i started talking to teams they were just kind of letting me know that my pitching was ahead of my hitting which i completely with uh i had the chance to go to two-way in college but i knew that if i if I did choose the pro ball route, that it would be to pitch. Mm -hmm. So is there any part of you that misses playing third and getting to hit, or it, it, are you happy with pitching, you know, every fifth, sixth day? Oh, no, I'm happy with pitching every five days. But, but yeah, sometimes I'll get a little restless in the dugout. Uh, I guess I just got to make it up to – to double away so I can start swinging it again. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how much does it help to, to be drafted by an NL organization knowing you're probably going to be hitting at some point down the line? Oh, uh, you know, I think it was just icing on the cake that uh, I will get to swing eventually. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I know that pitching pitching is uh, my bread and butter, but, yeah, I do like to hit too. <laughs> nice. Um, and and yeah. um, as some people might know or might not know, uh, you know, a former a player at your high school at Concordia Lutheran was Cabrian Hayes, who's a first-round pick of the the Pirates two years before you. Um, how right. much did you guys get to talk about, you know, the organization or even the draft process beforehand? Um, you know, him being a high a high pick, you being a high pick. Now you guys are in the same system. Yeah, you know, I reached out to him before the draft, and he's an unbelievable guy. Uh, We've gotten to chit chat here and there, and he's given me some really good insight. And uh, I mean, I just can't wait to be able to play with him. You know, he's he's such an unreal third baseman and really good hitter. And yeah, it's it's been cool to have two first rounders from the same high school to the same team. You know, it's it's pretty crazy. And what? particular piece of advice did he kind of help you with because obviously he knows exactly where you're coming from he can say you know this isn't like we used to do it at home or this is exactly like we used to do it at home um what right. piece of advice you know, do you feel like was most helpful just kind of to be yourself you know don't try and be someone you're not just kind of stay on your path and and do what you do mm -hmm. And Shane, we'll leave you on this one. I feel like we always talk to, to guys about, you know, preparations for the off season. They get to go home. They've been around, been away for a little while longer. This is obviously going to be a special situation for you um, going home and home's going to be a little different when you get back. So what are, what are you looking forward to most about going home when you get back there this off season? Uh, definitely see my family, you know, family is uh, a big part of, what I believe in God's blessed me with an unbelievable family to support me, but, uh, that'll be number one. And then everything else will just be kind of icing on the cake at that point. <laughs> yeah. And what is that area like, or what are you expecting that area to be like when everything is, you know, back to normal or as close to normal as it can be, I guess. You know, I'm, it's, it's a devastating thing, you know, this flooding, but you can always look on a bright side uh, you can bless people as much as you can, any way you can, you know, and uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. I think that it'll strengthen the entire city. You know, there's so many people helping out that uh, that there's just so much support going on, and a lot of prayer will, will only help the situation. And I think that's that's a good spot to leave it on. Uh, Shane Boz, thank you so much for joining us. Again, his Twitter account is at the Wizard of Boz. Can't tell you how great a name that is anymore uh and he's helping to raise funds here for the red cross for uh hurricane harvey and everybody who's uh, affected by that that's his pinned tweet right now anybody listening go check that out uh thanks again so much for joining us shane and uh, good luck the rest of the way down there yeah thank you so much uh thanks for having me
Getting out of the final days of minor league promotions in the 2017 season. And Benjamin Hill joins us to discuss some of those that have already passed and that are coming up. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. Hi, Sam. It's uh, good to be here. Now, is that an alternative fact? Because um, that segues us very well. It, it segues us segues us perfectly into a discussion of the Erie Seawolves alternative fact night. But uh, what I said was uh, totally truthful, so you not meant alternative. It. You meant it that it's good to be here. Yeah. Okay. And everything I'm saying now and will say and have said, there's no alternative about it. It is uh, the truth. I speak the truth always and forever. Those are all facts, real facts, as opposed to what the Erie Seawolves trotted out on Friday, August You're 25th. You're so into the segue, man. <laughs> you know, man, it's, uh, it's a radio professionalism in uh, this podcasting worlds of ours. Um, so the Erie Seawolves hosted Alternative Facts Night at UPMC Park in Erie, um, home of the wonders. Uh, the the Seawolves trotted out – well, the, the highlight of the night seemed to be uh, the championship ring – for a championship that they did not win in 2016, but there was a lot of stuff that went into this. Give us some of the some of the nuts and bolts of Alternative Facts Night. Right. Well, this is the last uh, promo watch column of the year, which I write every Tuesday during the season with uh, occasional Tuesdays missed when I'm on the road and whatnot, but I'm back from the road and was able to sneak one last promo watch column in. And uh, instead of highlighting something coming up this week, I decided to go ahead and uh, – look back at a promo that got a lot of attention and I felt that I wanted to talk to the team and get a little more info on it. Alternative facts night in Erie. And, uh, it is, and this is tough and this is why I'm interested in it. You know, I think rightfully so, no matter how we feel about politics and we all feel something, it seems like for sure. Um, you don't really mix politics with a minor league baseball promotion very often, if ever, because it can be polarizing and people look at the ballpark as a place to sort of get away from uh, the dissension and all the uh, kind of uh, contentious discourse in society. But the Seawolves said, no, nah, we're going to have some fun with this. It dominates the news. And uh, so they announced way back before the season started Alternative Facts Night, you know, poking fun at the political landscape. And I would say in particular uh, the 45th president of the United States, uh, Mr. Donald Trump, President Donald Trump is uh, who he is, uh, and his uh, you know propensity for – Alternative facts, uh, a, a term I think that was dubbed by uh, Kelly and, and Conway, one of his advisors. And so they decided, like, hey, let's have some fun with this. Let's give away a championship ring for a championship in which we did not win. In 2016, they went 62 and 79 and finished like 15 games out of first place. No matter. The alternative fact is that they went 142 and nothing and uh, won the championship. So they actually gave away. I believe it was 2000, you know, really nice replica championship rings. Yeah, they're like uh, really nice looking rings. Like teams do replica championship rings, and this one wasn't even for an actual championship. It looks nicer than a lot of the actual giveaways for teams that really won championships. It's pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, I mean, they, they went all in on this, and, and they had line a huge line outside the ballpark for people to get this, uh, this uh, championship ring from a, you know, an alternate reality, essentially. And, uh, you know, they kind of poked fun at politics throughout the game. You know, they had a message on the scoreboard that said uh, Trump didn't or Mexico didn't pay for this wall either with arrows pointing down to their outfield wall. And uh, they had first pitches from both uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They had a um, between inning uh, find Hillary's emails contest where the contestants were blindfolded and had to like scour around on the field for these uh, confidential documents. Um, they gave away a real life basket of deplorables, you know, a reference to Hillary Clinton's uh, statement during the campaign, which by the way, is just disgusting. So the they took stuff they put in, this. they took it literally. And this shows the kind of thought they had, uh, the Seawolves had, the, they gave away as a prize, a basket of deplorables, uh, you know, not used in a uh, more a symbolic or metaphorical way. As Hillary said during the campaign, they just tried to find a bunch of truly deplorable items. So the Seawolves gave this one presumably lucky fan, you know, moth flakes. We got some, Ham flavored concentrate. I don't really even know what that is. Something that's called squid brand fish sauce. I like fish sauce. I'm all for fish sauce. I would have taken some of that. Clam juice. Huh. Clam juice, butter beans, Vienna sausages, a denture bath, a hemorrhoidal ointment, a can of sardines. Again, I'll take sardines any day. You know, one man's uh, deplorable is another man's uh, delight. But uh, you know, really cool, uh, fun promotion. I talked to uh, Hunter Hornstein, uh, who works for the team. I forget his uh, title. Something like engagement manager. It's some uh, very cool title. 
want yeah, to say. Yeah, community engagement manager. Community engagement manager. But uh, Hunter uh, did a lot of work. I mean, the whole front office did a lot of work on this promotion, but he certainly was one of the main man, main minds behind it. And I talked to him about, uh, you know, what it took to pull it off. And, you know, he said, you know, we were really deliberate in putting this together, you know, really tried to be aware of what the line was and get as close to crossing it as we could without crossing it. And uh, they pulled it off. They had a good crowd. Again, the, the, um, the giveaway was a huge hit. I think crucially, you know, the whole front office was on board and uh, the owner of the team was on board, uh, Fernando Aguirre. I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. I feel like every time I'm on the podcast, there comes up at least one person (laughs) who I say, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. But, uh, you know, the owner was on board and that's crucial. You don't want and he was at the game. Uh, Allegedly, he was even the one wearing the Trump mask when Trump threw out a first pitch. So, you know, you have to uh, have everyone on board. You know, there have been some controversial uh, promotions this season. I won't get into them. kind of some off the record discussions. But, you know, where, you know, maybe ownership of uh, a team was not really aware of uh, what the you know, the promo staff is doing or whatnot. And that can lead to a lot of controversy. So when you do something, I think in the scheme of, uh, you know, 21st century uh, America, what the Seawolves did is not very controversial at all. But in the world of minor league baseball, you are towing a line. It's a a very uh, conservative industry as regards, uh, you know, how much you're willing to poke fun at any one side of the political aisle or another. So even though it might have been inspired by Trump primarily, you know, they made sure to poke fun at both sides, have a spirit of fun throughout and not really go on the attack or come across as overly partisan or bitter. And uh, it looks like they had a great night, pulled it off well, got a ton of press. And again, a great giveaway item that's just based on a really funny concept and uh, raised a lot of money for charity, too. Uh, the partnership for Erie Schools because they wore kind of they, they every Friday they wore faux back jerseys, which are really cool looking uh, jerseys uh, referencing like a period of the team's history, which didn't exist, but uh, have that kind of 70s, early 80s aesthetic. So uh, they um, it was the last faux back Friday of the season. They auctioned that off, made a lot of money for charity. So, hey, good job to the Seawolves. I've been talking about you for the last uh, 10 minutes. We all have. <laughs> with the Seawolves, like with something like this, um, so many of the – these promos that have this level of popularity, whether it's net, national, local, whatever, um, this becomes a thing every year. Is this something that can only be a one-off because it only happened after the election, or is this something you think they could play with for years going forward? Well, I mean, obviously, a lot of the specific uh, political, cultural references are uh, very much of the year 2017. Right. Um, but I think you could certainly, even removing politics largely out of it, uh, I think this uh, – concept is basically evergreen of just saying like you know we don't want to adhere to the existing reality we want to create our own well who had the conspiracy theory promo yeah that was kind of similar that was state college spikes they did a salute to conspiracy theories night and of course we see what could have been nights for years all around the minor league landscape so i think there's a a lot of a reality altering and uh, reality adjustments taking place so even if you don't want to go political i think you could do something along the lines of alternative facts just to create a reality more uh, palatable to uh to what you what what you'd like to see as opposed to what is that can be dangerous but uh for one night hey yeah, lose your mind a little. Go in another direction. It's cool. Then on uh, the 30th, which is uh, Wednesday, the day that this podcast drops, the uh, or the day that we ordinarily record, I should say, the day before it'll it'll be released, the Columbia Fireflies are giving away a Tim Tebow bobblehead. He played 64 games for Columbia at the start of the year. But that kind of brings us to a larger um, conversation, which regards promotions at the team level for these last couple of weeks of the season. For the example, in Columbia, the Fireflies didn't know at the beginning of the season that Tebow was going to be on that roster. So that's something that more than likely came about after opening day you have those bobbleheads made a lot of times that's a complicated process teams get those shipped from china sometimes they get stuck in customs sometimes not necessarily the easiest thing to just push a bobblehead promotion through so teams have to account for stuff like that when you're planning something in a season that's going to come up toward the end of the season but also toward the end of the season kids are back in school people are back from vacation and back to work and all that kind of stuff crowds aren't necessarily as big in the late days of august and early september as during the summer how do teams manage late season promotions like that well i mean i was talking to sam about this earlier in the day and i think in a lot of ways uh the last weekend of the, uh, you know, we, as we head toward Labor Day and, and uh, you know, penultimate homestands have become ultimate homestands and final games and we're really seeing the end. Um, I think sometimes you, you do feel a little bit of a loss of interest in the team as, uh, you know, as thoughts shift to fall. And I think teams for the most part 
you know, they don't put their premier stuff at the end of the season to counterbalance the loss of interest. Um, I'm not sure if there's so much, you know, raging against the dying of the light as opposed to sort of an acceptance of like, hey, we've been doing this for five straight months, uh, you know, grinding it out just like everybody else. And, uh, you know, the last homestand, the last weekend of the season is, you know, you're going to do um, – you know, some form of fan appreciation. You, uh, you know, might do cleaning out the closet type giveaways, give away random things, you know, throw a whole bunch of discounts at the team store, uh, really look to rewarding, uh, to reward like loyal fans and people have been there. And of course, just speaking to everyone, come out while you still have the chance. But uh, definitely, you know, you don't see as much as the blowout theme nights and the, uh, you know, alternate identities based on a food product and X, Y, and Z as here as we approach the end of the year. We're kind of fading out for the most part. And, uh, you know, that's okay. It's a long season, and uh, we'll be right back at it next year. I can't believe we're even talking about the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. And here in New York today, it's like rainy and like 60-something degrees, and there's been several times I've had to remind myself – it's not the off season. <laughs> it's, it just feels like the off season today. So uh, hey, it's still the season. Still need some of that summertime energy. It uh, has been kind of a, a downer day here in New York, but uh, now I'm just rambling. Well, kind of even looking forward beyond you know this just being the last week, um, you know there are still playoffs left. They still have to drive people out to those. Do do playoff promos ever become a thing, or do you uh, envision a future in which they could be a thing, or is it just this is playoff baseball? It means something. Come if you will. You know, it, uh, it, if, you don't. if you talk to uh, front offices off the record, I mean, a lot of them obviously do end up following their team very closely and very much root for their team to win. But from a business standpoint, there is this kind of eye rolling sort of like, oh, man, we made it in the playoffs. Like, we're <laughs> just going to lose a little money now because it is the irony of minor league baseball is like you, you know, fans don't go to the games to follow that winning team and they don't quite care so much in the playoffs. And it's like a Tuesday night and schools in session. It's getting cold and there's football and X, Y, and Z. And uh, of the whole nature of minor league baseball, too, is that the, with the rosters changing and even the ultra absurdities of like a rehabbing major leaguer appearing in a minor league playoff game or some, you know, backup catchers never played above class A advanced playing in a triple A playoff game it's just not uh, the, mo the most intense world when it comes to people truly caring about playoffs of course the hardcore fans are going to care um so you don't see too many promotions uh one area in which you might see promotions is leagues that have first and second half um champions because then if you win the first half you actually have enough time to get something on the schedule mm. um you know to say oh we're gonna do this giveaway this certain giveaway item we're going to do this and then really try to at least have one of your playoff games uh be a big blowout or a, a blowout type promotion or if not a blowout at least something that that has a little thought into it and then another thing is a lot of time you know you there's all these if necessary games and uh it's tough to really schedule much around it outside of the few guaranteed games you have in the first round so for the most part it's just like hey hardcore fans come out come out cheer on your team but for the most part uh you know it's a you're not going to see uh, playoff crowds of any real size in most minor league towns. Uh, the Columbus Clippers, you know, they uh, did a free, just a free, yeah. uh, free admission promo, which kind of goes against, uh, you know, kind of an industry truism is like you don't give away your product for free. But I think they did a good job uh, with the playoffs being so weird in minor league baseball, just being like, you know what, we're just going to just try to blow it out and create a true playoff atmosphere within a uh, level of the sport that doesn't really have much excitement for the playoffs. And it worked. They had huge crowds uh, at a big new ballpark in a triple A city. And that would be cool to see. It would be cool to see a town really get behind its team in the playoffs, which usually doesn't happen in minor league baseball. And there isn't really the time and wherewithal and scheduling certainty to really do too much promo wise around it outside of little things uh, on the fly. He is Benjamin Hill. What's coming up on the site and the blog, Ben? Um, you know, I'm still living in the past, but uh, I've got uh, some Wilmington Blue Rocks posts uh, coming up uh, on the blog and a uh, article coming up on Friday. And um, then a couple more on the road stories uh, from the Carolinas still in the can and uh, blog posts as well. And uh, I'm going to try by the end of September to have it all all done so that I'm not writing in October into November about what happened during the season. But at the same time, it's really important for me to get all my stuff out there to be as complete as possible to tell these stories as best as I can. And then when it's gone, it's gone. And there's a long, dark, cold off season ahead of us. He's not so you don't have any other like, 
Bill Murray like truisms saved up. No, I got, I got November <laughs> like something to just squeeze out of that. I got no more uh, secret Bill Murray content in the can. But uh, if you have not seen this past Friday, I wrote a feature story about yeah. my interview with Bill Murray, talking about uh, you know his history in minor league baseball and the project he's working on and his reactions to a post game helicopter drop. So. Uh, you know, please check that out. I have a feature story based on uh, my interview with Bill Murray, as well as the video that came up uh, a little before that, where he talks about the eclipse and the apocalypse. And of course, check the pinned tweet on my Twitter account at Ben's Biz, where you will see the endorsement and hear the endorsement, which uh, we all talked about last week. But hey, I'm still uh, talking about it because it's pretty cool. I've you don't meet Bill Murray forever. very often. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You got You can tell that story for a very long time. Benjamin Hill. He's on Twitter at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, we'll do it again next week. See you, Ben. Bye, guys. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill. And again, a big thanks to Shane Boz, the Pittsburgh Pirates system you can find on Twitter at The Wizard of Boz, B A Z. Uh, and that'll bring us to our final segment for this week's edition of the show before the show. Minor League Baseball postseason coming up, which means the last days of playoff races are here on MILB.tv. Sam, what are you watching? Yeah, um, I've got my eye on a four game set this, this week, this weekend, excuse me, um, which is going to end the season, actually. Uh, between the Salt Lake Bees and the Fresno Grizzlies. I choose that one uh, because it could have or playoff ramifications for both teams. Uh, right now, the Salt Lake Bees lead the Pacific Coast, Pacific Southern uh, division by only one game over El Paso. Uh, Fresno is three games behind uh, Reno in the Pacific Northern division. Uh, so both teams trying to scrap it out for a PCO playoff spot. Uh you know, Salt Lake is definitely going to still be playing for something this weekend. There's a possibility that Fresno, as of right now, their magic number to be eliminated is five. There's a possibility that they could get eliminated before that point. But um, with both teams going for something, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, names you'll recognize all up and down those rosters. Uh, Salt Lake specifically has Michael Hermosillo, uh, who I think has had a really great year this year. Climbed three levels, uh, has plus speed but is showing a little bit more power this year than I think he's shown before. Uh, he is probably the next Angels prospect to get excited about in terms of making the majors. Uh, they do have a lot of talent in that system in the outfield with you know your Jemai Joneses, your Joe Adels, and et cetera. Um, but Hermosillo is certainly knocking on the door. He looks like he's going to be uh, protected in the Rule 5 draft this year if he does not get added to the 40-man before that with a September look. So uh, he's somebody to get excited about that Salt Lake lineup. Or, yeah, that Salt Lake lineup. On the other side, Fresno, uh, you know, they've been sh strong the last couple of years. Uh, same old faces that you'll see there, Tony Kemp, A.J. Reed, Tyler White, the kind of, I won't call them quad A players, but they, you know, the Astros major league roster is so strong right now that those guys are, are typically stuck at Fresno and uh, can put up some strong performances there. No PCL pitcher wants to go through those guys at the top of Fresno's lineup. So that should make for a fun weekend series, regardless of time of year. But the fact that so much will be on the line this weekend should make it even more fun. Uh, so that's what, what what I'm looking at. What about for you, Tyler? Yeah, I'm going to be in AAA as well over in the International League. And we were talking about guys who maybe could get a look in September. And you and I were both discussing before we started this segment why this isn't a name that more people have talked about. Chance Adams the right-hander out of Dallas Baptist fifth-round pick in 2015 in the New York Yankees organization has been nothing but outstanding in his minor league career over the last couple of seasons. This year started the year 4-0 at 1.03 ERA through six starts with Double A Trenton. Made the jump to Scranton Wilkesbury, 20 starts there in ERA of 2.63 and 11 and 4 mark. Scranton Wilkesbury has already clinched the International League North Division title, so they are headed to the postseason. Uh, Adams will make his start today. If you're listening on the day that we release the podcast, uh, Thursday, August 31st. He is scheduled to go against Rochester at 7.05 Eastern time, but he has been fantastic all year long, and maybe that's another name that we'll be discussing in a major league capacity pretty soon, but as of right now, scheduled to go on Thursday for the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders. So that'll do it for the 125th episode of the show before the show. Did I miss anything? No, no, that's okay. it. Yeah. That's it. Good. Yeah. Good then. And 125 Good. just feels like such a r nice round number. That yeah, it does. We've had a couple of those lately. I'm sure it's Fantastic. some sort of anniversary that I just can't think of. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, possible. it's a nice, it's a nice round one to go into the what's going to be the last pot of the season, the re the regular season next week. Yeah, which is insane. I do want to throw out one shameless plug. 
If you are excited about prospects for the 2018 Major League Baseball first-year player draft, starting on Friday, September 1st through September 10th, the 2018 or the 2017 rather U18 Baseball World Cup will be going on in Thunder Bay, Ontario. It's a shameless plug because I'll be on the broadcast for those games, uh, but they'll be live on YouTube. There are a ton of Major League prospects on all of these rosters for the 12 nations that are involved, especially this U.S. roster, which I believe has eight of MLB.com's top 10 2018 high school prospects uh for this roster they've won three straight the u.s is looking to be the second country to ever win four straight u18 world cups uh but the guys that are on this roster will banfield the catcher tristan cassis who is a, a tremendous power prospect the first baseman slash pitcher bryce turing the shortstop who so many people believe is going to be the number one pick in the 2018 draft uh just talent after talent after talent jared kellenick who's an outfielder uh my favorite name kumar rocker right-handed pitcher ethan hankins uh who is a, a top five consensus top five high school prospect for 2018 so if you're interested in getting a jump on who future guests of the show before the show podcast could very well be then tune in next week we'll uh we'll have some fun from thunder bay ontario so thanks for humoring me with my my well, shameless self-promotion yeah we'll have to like cut that <laughs> remember those guys you just mentioned and if they exactly. come back on the and, show we'll just play that we'll, at the beginning of the episode next and we'll year say we've already talked time. about you on this show yeah Ethan you, Hankins. you know we mentioned your name before you were in <laughs> we the- mentioned your name in august of 2017 we were on this bandwagon super early yeah you creeps get, get the hell away from- <laughs> should be good it'll be fun so we'll have another international edition of the podcast coming up next week but it's only over a, a short border this time around so until then when we start into the minor league postseason coming up next week which is insane to me he's sam dykstra i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you then yeah.